Today we are focusing on Beatitude number five. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. But allow me to put that in the context. As I mentioned, this is really the sanctification process of God the Spirit who is working within us. This is not something that we're trying to do in order to become Christians or to become saved, but it is a true mark of all Christians who belong to God. This is a sign or portrait of kingdom citizens. But in so doing, and there is also progression, because it is really the sanctification process, and to which we could continually surrender ourselves and apply faith and God's sovereign uh, grace and God's work in our obedience, work together in, in such a very paradoxical way. So I, let me go over a few things before we get into the Beatitude number five. The first three Beatitudes, well, actually, I should say first four Beatitudes, is emptying process, as I mentioned. Uh, why is an emptying process necessary? Because when you think about God's goal, end of our transformation, actually reformation of our souls, as he designs originally, is to become like him. To become like his son, image of son, and now that we have a tangible example, that in that righteousness, Christ's righteousness, we actually have false righteousness to fill with our heart and our lives. So unless those things are emptied first, we will not hunger for true righteousness. Just beginning with recognizing our true spiritual state, blessed are the poor in spirit, spiritual bankruptcy, and that which will lead us to being sorrowful over our sins and, and sin as well, the sin nature that we have. That implies our helplessness. that we don't really have a power to overcome and to become by our self-effort a strong will. And then which we actually deals with ourself that he's trying to do good work and trying to have self-righteousness as well. In meekness, it's being broken toward God and others. We finally have humble, broken self. And number four last week, Actually, we are, have a new desire and new longing for true righteousness. An exciting thing about today, the fifth beatitude begins a filling process, filling, being filled with true righteousness. And the first thing God fills us is mercy. Think about that. Showing mercy to others. You know, another way of looking at it, 
as we empty the false righteousness or false self, the things that we're preoccupied, false cravings, now we are ready to receive God's true righteousness. And then what's true righteousness? What God is, what is most God-like? And as you all know, two key attributes of God is love and holiness. And pay attention to what number five and six are. The mercy is the one side of God's love. And the grace here on the other side. I'm going to call it the twins of God's love. But it is God's love. And the pure in heart we will meditate on next week is primarily, essentially about holiness. Justice of God. The righteousness as a holiness of God. So two things that God feels first is God's love and holiness. More specifically in the Beatitude language, it's mercy and purity in the heart, which will lead us to Christ-like work of reconciliation, peacemaking. And in so doing, we're ready to receive and even cope with persecution for righteousness' sake. One more thing. The paradoxical thing is actually working in a, in a way that number one, beatitude, affects number five. Number two, beatitude, affects number six, and so on. So this is not self-righteousness. That we're not trying to be nobly merciful that we become credit for our mercy. The paradox is this. Number one is the key to number five. But we need to know what mercy is first. Let's go with that definition. Mercy, it's simply put, is compassion in action for people in need. I would say people in misery. Uh, it, it could be just emotional misery or physical misery or spiritual misery that people are numb about. But it is a misery. It is a distress. And we need to make a note and remind ourselves that mercy is not just a merely feeling. It, it encompasses feeling, internal feelings, but it is an action. So the language goes like this. The biblical language of mercy is showing mercy. Not feeling mercy inside. Pity and sympathy inside only. It's a compassion in action. When Jesus felt the compassion... It is a gut-wrenching motivation that he had which moved him like a shepherd whose, has, whose heart is aching 
And in so doing, Jesus was not just caring for people spiritually, per se. Because in Jesus' kingdom, God's kingdom, the holistic salvation is in mind. That's why resurrection of our body is utterly important. Heaven is a temporary state, place that we go. But when Jesus comes back, our bodies will be resurrected. And in, on earth, a new heaven and new earth, we will reign with Christ. And there will be no more crying, no more death, and no more sickness. Yes, no more cancer. But it is an action. The shepherd moved toward the action. Even Jesus feeding 5,000. Do you remember disciples nobly suggested, Teacher, let them go. There's no way we could feed everyone. So let them go before it gets dark. And Jesus simply said, You feed them. Let's feed them. Caring for the need. How about mercy and justice? Mercy is not to disregard. And this is uh, the hyper, hyper grace of today's culture and today's Christian culture also too. And as if love is against justice and justice is against love. They're clearly two sides of God's, God's attribute, right? So mercy is not to disregard justice, but to go beyond justice because of love. Have you felt that way? Do you know what I'm talking about? Here's a confession that I make. I don't think I really truly understood this going beyond justice until I became a father. So I have four sons. Many of you know that. But to be respectful for our teenage, my teenage boys... Although 90-some percent of you already know who I'm talking about, so I'm not going to say the name. I'll just say one of my sons in uh, high school cross-country during the summertime, he, he uh, don't tell him when you see him. Uh, he, he began training during the summer, and then the, they will get together, a bunch of students will get together, they will just run three miles and five miles or six miles sometimes, you know. So there, there are just a bunch of kids who are running in the streets. And my son is smart, but he's oblivious a lot of times. Not around. I just tell him, be aware of your surroundings. One day he just start running, and there's a jogger walking by, you know, going this direction, he got distracted and thinking about something, and he followed that person who's not a student. So when I went to pick him up, everybody's gone. He's not showing up. And finally, I get a call from this strange number. Normally, I would not pick up any calls like that. But because of my son's absence, coach didn't know where he was. So I picked the phone. He goes, Dad, can you pick me up? Uh, I am at a.m. p.m. And then what happened was he 
got distracted and he, he lost the sense of direction. He thought that he's walking, running toward his school. He finally realized when he was lost, right? He kept on going the other way and all the way to 5 and Red Hill, a.m. p.m. He took the courage to ask them. He doesn't have anything. His bag is in the school, school field. So he asked them to borrow the phone. They generously, nicely called, let him use the phone. And then when I went out there, it was far, really far. But he and I talked about things like this. So when it comes to justice, I could have a lot of, said a lot of things. But my son, my usually prideful son, as soon as I saw him, I just felt so much pity and compassion for him. Because I could see his, his um, sweat became very black water making mark. He must be really thirsty. So uh, he, he, he was gone for 30, 40 minutes. They usually you know, run a one hour, one hour and a half t- together. So all that time that he looked at me and, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But this is a kid that I usually have one hour lecture. And after that, squeezing his one, one sorry. It's hard. But he kept on saying, I'm sorry, for about five, six times. I didn't say anything. I just, my son, it's okay. You must be really thirsty. And I bought him a drink, and he just gulped it down. And he was grateful in the car. And I remember that feeling. Whatever he did, of course I could correct him. Of course I could say, I told you so. Didn't want to say anything. Going beyond the justice. Did you know that God just did that for you? The mercy triumphed over judgment. That we have this ideas of condemnation but those who belong to Christ, God has embraced you and he's thinking about you. He loves you. So full of thoughts for you and me. See, but at the same time, when we think about justice, mercy without context of justice is cheap. And it is phony. Mercy in the context of justice is costly and real. As I mentioned, mercy and grace is twins of God's love. And sometimes these are so close we get confused by that. So let's maybe conscious a bit, a little bit. Mercy, in, on one hand, it is God's love for the distressed, those who are in misery. Grace is God's love for the guilty. Mercy removes, therefore, the pain. And grace covers the sin. 
Mercy deals with symptoms or ramifications of sin. Grace deals with the cause of sin. Mercy does not give us what we deserve. What do we deserve? Judgment. But he doesn't give us what we deserve. This is called non-justice. God's non-justice is no hell for those who are in Christ. And grace gives us what we do not deserve. What we do not deserve is heaven, righteousness, justification, Christ imputed righteousness on us. And lastly, mercy is unmerited, undeserved forgiveness and healing. And grace is unmerited, undeserved pardon and salvation. So when you think about God's mercy day to day, is a God's compassionate heart and action towards us. And do you did you feel that? Whenever who whenever those who suffer is close to you, your mom and dad, or your 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 friends, your close friend, and even within our church church family, as we hear about Sam's mom's condition, and I read Elgin's Elgin's mom and dad's condition as we pray for them. Yesterday morning, it aches my heart. It aches our heart. And sometimes the best prayer we could pray Abba. Mercy, mercy, mercy for Sam's mom, mercy, mercy, mercy for Elgin's mom who's still in the hospital, mercy for Elgin's dad who's worried and sick to his stomach, he can't even eat. That's God's heart toward us. Whenever we feel that natural affection and aching for our children, our our loved ones, our friends, we ought to remember that on a spiritual realm that we're going to feel those compassion and mercy as God gives us what is most God-like, God's love, in the form of mercy for us. Let's go on defining uh, mercy in light of a few other things. Mercy and the cross. The cross of Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's compassion in action for us in the misery of our sins. Romans 5, verse 8. I love this expression. But God demonstrated his 
own love towards us while we're yet sinners, while we're yet helpless, while we're, we were yet enemies with God. We had enmity with God because of our defiance and because of our autonomy, because of our indifference. Christ died for us. What if verse read something like this? But God felt a little bad for us. He had a good thoughts for us. Just like something happens, even, you know, Hurricane Katrina, and we look at the uh, news and news anchor, it rightly said, uh, you know, say a quick prayer for those who are hurting. Having good thoughts, in other words. God went far beyond that. His only begotten Son, He gave and showed and demonstrated His love toward us. So when we look at the cross, we have no excuse whatsoever about not having mercy toward, toward people who have offended us. And not, not moving in action when we know we could help and relieve to, to the misery of people. How about mercy and brokenness? And this is our prayer from the beginning of Crossway Church Plan that we would learn this brokenness. Learn not graduate. Learn to embrace the actually paradoxical secret pathway to God's mercy and God's grace for our church, for individual lives as well. Because it's only those who are keenly aware of brokenness, which is spiritual bankruptcy, not just the emotional, the emotional brokenness, but utter spiritual impotence, can truly show mercy because their own need and experience of God's mercy. So I'm praying as we sense this uh, sickness of our loved ones. And Kate was keeping it low because of their you know, major prayer requests are going around. So only the Kate's woman's group knows about this, but Kate's dad is not doing well. And his, his lung capacity about is about 50% only. Always having a hard time to breathe. When it comes to his sickness, he always goes go to something about respiratory system. My prayer, as we sense this pain and suffering amidst us, that it will help us to be broken, to see our utter desperate need of God day to day. How about mercy and meekness? And the meek are also merciful. Why? John Stott, the poignant words of John Stott says this, to be meek is to acknowledge to others that we are sinners, to be merciful is to have compassion on others, for they are sinners too. 
but always it's helpful to have a tangible example. And let's take, there are many passages that we could go to, but I think the parable of Good Samaritan, when Jesus told this story, it's, it depicts what merciful person looks like. The backdrop first. The teachers of the law come to Jesus in half-hearted, testing way. Teacher, Rabbi, what can I do to experience God's mercy? What can I do to inherit God's kingdom? And then Jesus says, what is it written in the law? That he will say, well, the law says, love your God with all your might and all your heart, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You answered it correctly. Do this, and you will live. And he actually didn't want to stop there. Because if he stopped there, he has to actually do that. He wanted to debate, talk about more. What if I happen to love this person? He's not my neighbor. So his question was, who is my neighbor? And Jesus, beginning with verse 30 in Luke chapter 10, says this. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the, on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he journeyed, he came, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. There are few characters in this story. Uh, priest in a modern-day equivalence, would be a pastor. Levite would be a modern-day worship pastor or music minister. Why would Jesus choose these people, religious people, who seem to be doing noble things? And in their own mind, what matters most to them was distracted by this other misery need. And actually, the Samaritan he chose was a person, the, the ethnic group that all Jewish people despise so much, they would actually avoid traveling through the villages of Samaria. 
They're mixed breed. They're half Jews. And they had a set of strange rules. And they believe in only five, first five books of Old Testament Pentateuch. And they thought about their special place of worship, not Jerusalem. So because of all this, they, even, they didn't even talk to each other. And from Samaria, as a minority from Jews' point of view, I mean their point of view to Jew, they despise as well. But Samaritan men come and did this. And then we see a mercy, what merciful person looks like. First, Samaritan man sees the need, misery, distress, and pain, and he responds internally with compassion and pity to the person in distress. He didn't stop there. I mean, it could be easy for a modern-day story. Oh, I feel so sorry for you. I hope somebody can come help you quick. No, he responds externally with action to relieve, to relieve the distress, distress. And moreover, he was doing this without any strings attached. He wasn't thinking about, oh, I have to spend money on this guy. He was willing to even say, Whatever you spend more to the innkeeper, when I come back, I'll repay you. This is what mercy, a merciful person, looks like. So let's be very careful. One of the dangerous things that we could do as a Christian is having noble mind and going halfway. Because of mercy, I'm going to forgive you. But there's a bitterness that you kind of restored somewhere. I mean, stored in your heart. So next time, it will be second strike. Next time, it will be third strike. And when you hit the third strike, I'm going to unfriend you from Facebook. And I will try not to see you and run into you. Think about this example. This is what it means to be merciful. To not to do it, to halfway, to do it halfway would be to disregard God's unlimited, unending mercy for us. So the blessing for the merciful is they shall receive mercy. It sounds really good. When I show mercy, God's going to give me mercy. Oh, how wonderful that would be. But if you pay attention a little more, this is problematic. You could even say, I think Wade was putting me on the spot a few weeks ago because of this reason. You could either want to say, blessed are the merciful, they shall Receive mercy. Bless. Not blessed are the people who are not merciful because they will not receive mercy. Is it a condition? I thought it was God's unconditional love. God's grace and mercy is without merit. 
So it, it is a problematic, but one thing that is clear for us to uh, even before going on is it does not mean that when we are merciful, we deserve a right to demand mercy. What it means is this. When we are merciful to others because of God's mercy for us, we will continually experience God's mercy more and more. This is what I mean by this. When Jesus um, was reiterating, as Wade said, if you do not forgive to those who are debtors to you, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. So it is a challenge, paradoxical challenge. If you do not trust and obey today and continue to follow Christ at whatever the cost might be, and that Jesus will deny you when you see the Father in heaven. Well, that does not mean that our faith is belong to us. The sovereign hand of God is uphold us. That sovereign grace has actually chosen us from the beginning, even before the formation of this world. But those two things, seemingly paradoxical things, contradicting thing in God's paradox is actually working together. So, Jesus' point here, and this will be repeated in any other pa- several other passages also too, if you really have experienced God's love, it will lead you to Show mercy to others. Let me go one more time. If you do not show your mercy to others, that shows that you have not received God's mercy. Why have you not received God's mercy? Because you didn't, you really didn't see your spiritual state as bankruptcy, spiritual bankruptcy that you need a desperate need of God's mercy, that you didn't cry out with confession and contrition, have mercy on me, O God. A sinner. Those who have not done that have not experienced God's love. And those who have not experienced God's love, God's mercy that way, will not show to others. So therefore... Ongoing mercy of God is freely flowing to us as we are keep on showing mercy to others. That is a paradox. So I thought about a sentence. Um, If I paraphrase this beatitude, we could paraphrase it this way. Blessed are the merciful for they have received and keep receiving mercy from God. The causation begins with God's mercy, not within our merit. It, which enables or turns power on to love and to mercy, show mercy to others. Which will in turn 
God will show us mercy. So our sins are forgiven, but we are defiant and we are unrepentant. In some sense, um, what Robert said is kind of funny, but it is true. When we are defiant and there's something that Holy Spirit convicts us, we are unwilling to repent and confess to God. Our emotional, spiritual state is miserable while we don't lose our salvation if we belong to God. The fellowship is broken. Our relationship with God as a father and son and father and daughter is not changed. So how do you leave, receive mercy? Remember, as I said before, in the beginning of this pro- progression is beatitude number one, blessed are the poor in spirit, is actually the key to blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And when we declare our spiritual bankruptcy, when we are keenly aware of our spiritual brokenness, mercy becomes natural. Isn't it true that in our experiences that is also you know those of us have a speeding ticket past few months when you hear the others have a speeding ticket we have much more mercy because we're broken in that way. I mean this is a very Minimal, incomplete example. But we dare not say, man, I thought you're Christian. You just need to slow down. <laughs> Although it might be funny with that example, when we think about the ton of guilt on our heart because of our brokenness and because of ramification of our brokenness the inability to be kind and to choose choice words to our spouse and to our kids when we see that and God convicts our our heart and there are times that I kneel before God because I see my own wickedness in our, my, my heart, and mixed motives of that. The first thing that comes to my mind is not, God, thank you that you have given me all this strength and I will dream the big dream. No. I usually have mercy on me, oh God. If you do not accept me, where would I go? So there are three things. As I mentioned, although these are descriptive of a kingdom citizen's portrait, The people in God's rule, sovereign rule, continually live this out. So we ought to apply our lives into this. And if there is a sign that there is no abundance of mercy in our lives, 
We ought to repent. We ought to correct our, our heart. But let's be very clear about this. Remember, this righteousness is an inside-out transformation, real transformation. And the easy thing is external righteousness to show. And you're, you really don't have that motivation, and your heart is not congruent. So there is an oxymoron here, the paradoxical things. Can a policeman be merciful, Christ follower? Should he pull you over when you violate traffic law? What about your prosecuting lawyer? What about your teacher? who's responsible for detention hall. What about your, when you are mom, as a mom and dad, there's a need for lovingly discipline your children. When we get confused about this, it's all about showing love and becoming, and it becomes a credit. At the same time, one could do Practice and apply justice and discipline, hard, tough love with merciful heart. God did it. Those whom he loves, he disciplines. Do not harden your heart when you hear the voice of God, like your fathers in the wilderness. I'm talking about Israelites. So three things. Number one, to live out the fifth beatitude, becoming merciful. The first thing is to see your own brokenness and misery and ask God for mercy. Psalm 51, verse 1 to 2, these are David's words. Uh, When he felt broken, when he was utterly miserable with his sin, have mercy on me, O God, according to, that, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. In other words, we cannot skip this part if we, we, are, we are really serious about showing love and mercy to others. So we ought to face our own brokenness and misery, which is the reality of our spiritual poverty. So it would lead us to our own need for mercy. And to face the justice of God will help us and keep us away from the phony mercy and the self-rationalization and self-pity rather than really God's mercy. Can I, can I say this? Just with all my, uh, my fatherly, ten, tender pastoral love for you. When you're convicted by God, do not move on too soon. You can sit before God and let that true guilt fall on you so you could feel God's pain 
So when you confess, it is not formulaic. If we confess our sin, he's forgive it, he's just and forgive us, purify us from all righteousness. That's I did it. But genuinely, we need to weep over our sin. That's what, what it is. And then as we're doing that, we will feel the need. God, be, a merc- be merciful to me, a sinner. And number two is natural, isn't it? See the need of others in distress beyond justice through the eyes of our own desperate need for mercy. James chapter 2, verse 12 to 13. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is, judgment is without mercy to, to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's respond with compassion. Let's not step there, stop there. Let's respond with action to relieve the distress. And let's not respond with strings attached. Not I'm talking I'm not talking about compensation money the monetary compensation, but it could be easily recognition. I help that person there's no thank you card. Not even an email card. So there's a, a local outreach coming up. Do it. And Jesus' word is this. Do those good things. Alms in 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 Matthew 6 language. As if your right hand is doing and your left hand has no idea. Of course you know it. But there is a sense of secrecy before God that you don't take the credit in in between, even if it's halfway. Finally, see the mercy of God overflowing in you and show mercy as you keep receiving God's mercy. Two passages in New Old Testament, Lamentation 3, verse 20 to 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies come, never come to an end. Aren't you glad? And there's no three-strike law in God's mercy. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And because of that love and mercy, Ephesians 4, 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If we remember how God has forgiven us and reflect, be a mirror of God's mercy and forgiveness to others. And that we will experience continuous mercy from God. That's one thought I think I need to take time and dwell on it a little bit. Is there anyone in your life who 
hurt you. Recently, maybe a few years ago or a long time ago. And you feel hurt and there's amount of energy that goes into with that hurt and ramification of that. And I am so sorry for you. But I urge you, my brother and my sister, look to God. You need God's mercy. You need God's peace. You need God's joy. The only way is that you break your stubborn self and surrender and forgive. I know it is a healing process. It t- will take time for you to feel actually good about that person. It will take years sometimes. But you must begin today. You must put your heart volitionally, Lord, because you have forgiven me. How can I not forgive this person? Have mercy on me and help me release this bitterness, this hurt. Would you do that? Would you do that today? And I would love to talk to you if you need any help on that. Let me close with this quote. F.B. Meyer, who was a British pastor uh, in 19th century, he writes poignantly, but his language is too old, so I changed the word Tao and D and accept his prayer to, to our language, you, you and so it will, it's actually readable, very poignant. F. Meyer writes, "The eyes of mercy are deep with compassionate glances, full of tears, the homes of prayer. The feet of mercy are soft in their tread, for they will not break the bruised reed, nor quench the smoldering spark in the dimly burning flax. The voice of mercy is generous to the fallen, gentle to the weak, and gracious to the offender. From the heart of mercy, soothing balm flows to the wounds of sinner, sinners, and of sufferers, and of the world. The only way in which you can become merciful is to remember how much mercy you need and you have obtained. Ah, think of the 10,000 talents that have been forgiven you, and you will not take your brother by the throat and demand the 100 pence in which he is a defaulter. Remember your own exceeding bitter cry, which God has recorded in his book, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Yes, and amen. And may this mercy move our heart to become merciful people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy for us. And thank you that your mercy never come to an end. They are new every morning to us. And I pray for those of us 
who struggle to release our, our bitterness, unforgiveness, the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray, that will come upon that brother and that sister and help that person to, to experience the freedom and God's shalom from that captivity of bitterness and unforgiveness. Would you help us not to rationalize or minimize our unforgiving, unmerciful attitude toward others? And we pray for the people who are impacted by this horrendous hurricane, Petrina, Patricia. And we pray for their families. And continue to move us to act in mercy to the people around us, whether it's a foot bank or sheepfold, whether it's brothers and sisters who are in need of our pet prayer. And we give you praise and thank you so much for your mercy upon us this morning. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.